guys ever experienced conflict? I have, even right now. I don't know. But yeah, sometimes in our, in our homes we experience conflict, maybe in our, between our uh, spouses, in our homes, um, in the workplace, even in the church. Conflict can happen to anyone in any place at any time. Uh, but it's how we overcome and deal with that conflict uh, for, as Christians uh, that can bring glory to God. And sometimes we deal with conflict in ways uh, that does not glorify God because we remove him. There's a story about uh, uh, two ladies are sitting on a train. One is very hot and one is very uh, cool. And one wants to open the window uh, to be able to cool off and the other one thinks she is going to die of pneumonia um, if that window is open. And they're sitting across from this guy on the train and they're complaining and con- having this conflict. One wants it open, one wants it closed. Uh, through this, finally they call the conductor uh, to settle this, and both of them think they're going to die if one of them's open or if it uh, remains uh, closed. And the guy, the conductor can't figure it out. The guy finally says, listen, open the window, then this one will die. Then close it so that one dies. <laughs> and then we'll have peace. Depending on who's figuring out how the conflict's going to be solved, uh, it doesn't always go according to what God would want. I'll tell you, that, that story sounds like our office sometimes in the heat and the cold. Uh, but we, we experience these conflicts and we, we seek to overcome them without God. And when we do that, it will never be solved in a way that will bring glory to God. This is because we have this sinful nature within us, in our very core. And what we want what we want. And if we follow our sinful nature, it will lead us uh, to get what we want almost at all costs. Today, we're continuing on our study of James, and we're going to be seeing the causes of conflict in all aspects of our life and what we can do to overcome conflicts in those areas of life. So we're going to begin in uh, James chapter 4. We're moving along here and see what the Lord has to say to us through James. He says this beginning in verse 1. It says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you want on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace? That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law... You are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, Lord, I I do thank you for your word, Lord. This is a challenging word to us today, and I, I pray that you'd guide us through it, Lord. Help us to realize where the source really of the conflicts we experience in life come from, Lord, and help us to overcome those as we uh, seek you and draw near to you, Father God. I pray that you teach us today as we go through this and glorify your name. 
In Jesus' name, amen. All right, James starts out, and he, he, he starts out by talking about several different types of conflicts that each one of us experience. He talks about conflicts with people. He says, what causes fights among you? People to people. We have conflicts and, and fights that are going on among people. He also talks about the conflicts within us. He says, we're the desires that battle within us. As Christians, we have these desires that are waging war and causing conflict within us between our spiritual nature and our fleshly nature. And he talks also about conflicts with God. When we become a friend of the world, we're an enemy of God. We are in conflict with his ways. And these conflicts we have, they're all really interrelated and they are all the result of sin in our life, particularly our selfish desires. And the only way truly to overcome the conflicts that we face in all aspects of our life is to repent and to, to bear fruit in keeping with that repentance. And James here gives us some particular issues that, and we learn some specific things that we need to be able to do to truly overcome the conflicts that we face in real repentance. And he starts out first saying, you need to start judging your motives. He says, what causes these fights and quarrels among you? They come from these desires that battle within you. You desire, but you do not have, so you kill, you covet, you cannot get, uh, so you fight and quarrel. You don't have because you don't ask God, and when you do, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. The problems and the conflicts we face in life are ultimately coming from within our sin nature. Conflict often arises when things do not go our way, and it affects us, and typically, it comes out of us. Sometimes when we want something or even ask for it from the Lord, but we don't get it because our motives are wrong, and when we don't get what we want, it's going to affect us, and when we're affected, it not only just affects us, it's going to affect those around you as well. How many of you have ever gone to work and had a bad day or some, some experience at work, and you come home, and even though your family hasn't uh, done anything to you, they are in the receiving end of, of the conflict that you experience because it comes out of us. These desires that are battling within us, it affects not just us, but it affects those around us as well. It creates more conflict within our family. So we need to be examining ourselves and our motives to see if it's our fleshly nature that is ruling ourselves. And, and, and if it seems to be, then we need to take steps to starve our fleshly nature and feed our spiritual nature. Because this is the battle for real Christians. We have these two natures. When we trust, put our trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, we receive his Holy Spirit. We are given a new nature, a nature we didn't have before, a spiritual nature. But we still have also tied to this spiritual nature and this godly nature, our sinful nature. And there's a battle that is going on uh, between our fleshly nature and our spiritual nature. This is what Paul writes about in Romans 7. He's like, I don't do the things I want to do. And the things I don't want to do, this I keep on doing. This is the battle that goes on. So we've got to make sure we are feeding our spiritual nature, growing in our spiritual walk with the Lord. This is why Paul tells us in Galatians, he says, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. You're not to follow after your fleshly nature. 
You're not to say, well, I've been saved by grace. I can do whatever I want. That is opposed to what James has been teaching all along, opposed to what Paul preaches. We need to walk in the Spirit and to be feeding our spiritual nature. So we need to examine our motives and judge them. We need to be asking questions. Is what I desire in line with what the Lord desires for me? Or am I more concerned about my own comforts and my own pleasure than I am with the glory of God? These are hard questions because too often, I'll tell you, I've done this. We place our own comfort and pleasure over and above the glory of God and what he wants. We need to keep God's glory and his will paramount in our lives, following after him. We need to do what Jesus did in this. We see a perfect example of this in Jesus' life. Right before he's going to go to the cross, he's praying to the Father, and he says, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. He's praying for a change of circumstance. He doesn't want to go through this suffering in his, in his human nature, but he wants the Father's will to be done. And he's willing to do whatever to bring glory to the Father and to follow after the, his will. So we need to be questioning our motives when we're seeking things uh, from the Lord. Are we seeking things with wrong motives? Ask yourself, what is, why am I doing this? Is it for my own comfort? And then we need to feed our spiritual nature. When we're doing that, when we're, we're asking those questions and we're following after the Lord, we do feed our spiritual nature. And it, it will help us to overcome some of those conflicts, both within us and without us. So we need to judge our motives. And then we need to turn away from worldly ways. Verse 4 says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? James is saying, he's telling us here, listen, you cannot love the ways of the world and love God at the same time. Those do not add up and they do not go together. And he, when he calls his readers here uh, adulterous, he's not saying they've committed physical adultery. He's saying, and he's using language here, saying you're committing spiritual adultery. You know, in our, in our language, when it says you adulterous people, it's really the feminine uh, word he's using for adulterous. It's adulteresses. And he's using that language because the Jews, and we should recognize that, because we are the bride of Christ. And we have been promised to one husband, Jesus Christ. And when we love the ways of the world over and above God's ways, we are committing spiritual adultery against the Lord as the bride that has been promised to him. And he's using this language. He's in love saying, listen, wake up, wake up. You've become so complacent in your sin, just like many of us in regards to some of the ways of the world. Oh, it's not so bad and we follow after this thinking it's not too bad. James is saying, listen, wake up. This is serious. You are committing adultery, spiritual adultery. And it happens so easy and gradually. You know, I think of a, an example here in, in, in the Bible. Uh, David. David is told to us he's a man after God's own heart. And he serves the Lord. But you know what? When we stop doing the things that we should be doing as followers of, of Christ, sin has a way of coming into our lives. When we read about David, David and Bathsheba, we read about David not going off the war with his troops as kings normally did. He's concerned with his own comfort 
in his own uh, uh, pleasure. And he spies Bathsheba out there, and he ends up committing adultery, physical adultery with her. That leads him to another sin. He has Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, killed because he didn't want anybody to find out about this. Finally, the Lord calls Nathan to him. And Nathan tells David the story after a while. Just because David has gotten in this complacency and this sin. And Nathan tells him this story that really riles David up. He tells him about a rich man who's got all these sheep and a poor man who's got this one little ewe lamb. And some guests come and, to this rich man and instead of slaughtering one of his own sheep, he takes this little ewe lamb from this poor man and slaughters it to feed his guest. And David is outraged. This man should die. And Nathan, who is waking David up, says, you are the man. You are the one. Just like James saying, you adulterous people. He is waking him up. David repents in this when he realizes the complacency of his own life and his sin that he has uh, been living in in the midst of this. And he wakes up. We do the same thing. We need to wake up sometimes, just like the people of James' day, just like David did here. We need to wake up. The world is saying so many things to us. It's okay. And as we take steps and say, okay, well, that's not so bad. Well, that's not so bad. That's not so bad. We begin to compromise, and we fall deeper and deeper into a state of spiritual adultery, idolatry, really, worshiping our feelings and our pleasure. You know, today in our culture, our culture says, listen, Living together before marriage is the better thing to do. You don't want to get into something that you don't, you know, I mean, it may not work out. Then you got to go through the process of divorce. Figure it out first. That almost seems like something that's really wise, doesn't it? When we're following the ways of the world and we're finding ourselves drifting into that, the ways of the world do seem to have an appearance of wisdom. But God's word says this, keep the marriage bed pure. And he's designed sexual relations to be within the bounds of a, a committed covenant relationship between a man and a woman, to foster deeper intimacy. This is the gift of sexual intimacy that he's given us, and this is the purpose uh, of it, that we grow deeper in intimacy together. But Satan continues to just whittle away slowly. I mean, if we go 50, 60 years ago, this wasn't an issue. It was looked down upon. But slowly, over time, over time, it's, well, that's, that's really wise. Why don't you live together first and see if it's going to work out? Little by little, till it becomes normal. One of my favorite authors is uh, C.S. Lewis. In, uh, in his classic book, The Screwtape Letters, which is a story about uh, um, a senior demon writing to his young nephew, demon who's a demon kind of in training and he's telling him some of the things he's learned and he says this indeed the safest road to hell is the gradual one the gentle slope soft underfoot without sudden turnings without milestones without signposts nice and easy so people don't even realize the path you're leading them on you know what it sounds like oh, that's never going to happen to me you know how this happens it happens without us really even thinking about it sometimes. Maybe, you know what, it starts, to, to really do this, you need to get people unconnected from truth and unconnected from community. And then it becomes so much easier. But to get them unconnected from community, biblical community, where they're hearing God's word, uh, it's not as hard as you think. 
you know what? Maybe you had a hard week at work. You know what? I'm sleeping in this weekend. I'm not going to go to church. I'll just read the Bible. All right. You know, and I'm not saying everybody, it's wrong to miss a week. I'm not saying that. But we've got to be careful. Because real things happen sometimes. We have a hard week at work. Maybe we get sick. Maybe a couple weeks in a row we've missed. Uh, and then we go back and it's like, oh, there's so many new people there I don't even know. And then it's just another step and it's like, oh. And then you miss a few more weeks and it's like, you know what, I'm going to start out at the beginning of the year. Start fresh and go. And then you find yourself, it's too cold out. It's January. And then, you know what, you're not reading as much. You're not in God's word. You're not in community. You're not in a small group. And then you meet people at work who aren't believers. And they're so nice. These people are so nice. How, how could this person, this person's trying to live a good life. They can't go to hell, even if they don't believe in Jesus. Really? And then we start to think through this. And we get unconnected. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves totally unconnected and following the ways of the world. And they sound so wise. These ways of the world you know, it's about me. It's about my pleasure. It's about my comfort. That's what Satan does. Nice and slow, nice and easy. Nothing to startle you until you find yourself far away from the Lord. And James recognizes this in some of these people when he cries, Wake up! You adulterous people, you're committing idolatry. You have been bought with a price. You have been promised to one husband. Listen, we got to realize that when we follow the ways of the world, we are committing spiritual adultery. We are committing idolatry. So we need to turn away from the ways of the world, but not just turn away from the world's ways. We need to turn to the Lord's ways. That's what we need to do. He says, he goes on and says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. We need to recognize that most often all of our earthly conflicts, whether they're at our home, in the church, in our, in our places of work, they stem out of this conflict with God and his word or his teaching. We don't believe God, what God's word says. So we have conflicts with maybe other people who believe God's word within the church or that, oh, I'm not going there. They're so narrow-minded, eh, believing that the Bible is the only way or the only uh, thing we need to follow. When we don't believe God's word, we don't take our responsibilities that he gives us in his word seriously. We don't take our responsibilities as husbands seriously. To, to love our wives as Christ loved the church, she doesn't deserve it. Yeah, neither did you when Christ died for you. So we need to recognize that. You know what? I need to love my wife sacrificially. Wives, we need to respect your husbands as, as, as uh, the, his word tells you to, even when he doesn't deserve it because Christ empowers us and calls us to and he is worth it always. That's why we need to keep our eyes upon him. In the workplace, I'm not doing that. He says, work as, as if you are working for Christ. We keep our eyes upon him in all things. And as we do that, as we turn to his ways, as we follow his ways, we're going to experience less conflict internally and externally and more joy. But we need to be turning to him, submitting ourselves to him. What would this look like if the world was doing this? Well, it would start with this. It would start with people coming 
in believing and recognizing who Jesus really is, that he is the Lord. Jesus is God in the flesh. And they would recognize that there's, he's the only way. When people turn and receive Jesus Christ, recognizing who he is and what he's done, that he died for their sins and resurrected from the dead, they have salvation. And we have the Spirit of God indwelling us. And then we need to be growing in him, drawing close to him. The problem in our society and even in the church is this is what happens. People come, they receive Christ, and then they say, okay, you know, I've trusted in Christ, now I'm going to try really hard to be good. And I'm going to tell you, you know where that leads? Failure. Because you and I cannot try really hard to be good. We cannot do it on our own. Even if you try. Well, what's, what's, our, what's the answer? The answer is here. Draw near to God. Don't try harder. Draw near. Listen, I'm a, I'm a super, I'm, I'm a pretty rational guy, meaning I'm not super emotional. This is both good and bad in, in the home. It's like, you know, I don't have very low lows. You know, it's like, oh, bummer, okay. But I don't have very high highs. Oh, great, you know. It's kind of, it's bad for my wife. She likes me to get excited over things. I am. I'm excited. Great. Um, but anyway, I'm off the subject right now. Uh, but I, you know, I, I'm a rational thinker. It's like, you know, I like to know, oh, why am I doing this? I'm, I'm following after the Lord. I, I like to know this. But, you know, there's things I realize that as a, as a created being who's created with a limited capacity to understand. I've been created that way. God hasn't made me infinite to understand everything, nor you. And, but I like to. I like to understand these things. So yeah, you grow in knowledge, but realizing that I'm not going to understand everything is okay when I know him more. I don't need to understand everything. You know what I need? I need more of Jesus. When I know him more, I trust him more. When I don't understand the future, and I, I step out in it, as long as I know him more, I know that Jesus loves me so much. You know how I know he does? Because of his sacrifice for me on the cross. He sent his son. The father sent the son to die for me in my place, taking what I deserve because he loves me. And when I draw close to him and I, I follow after his ways, I grow in deeper relationship with him and I no longer need to know all the answers. I just know him and I walk in him. Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. As we draw deeper into relationship with him, that's how we, we begin to live in this, uh, this peace, this joy in the Lord as we're drawing near to him. We've got to be in his word because this is where he reveals himself to us. As we're in his word, as we're reading through this, as we see scripture coming alive, just even going through James and we see David and we see these examples as it comes alive for us. We see the truth and the eternality of, of, of the Lord, that he is the God from the beginning and the end. He does not change like shifting shadows. He is rock solid all the time and we can trust him. So we believe the truth of his word what is right and what is sin, and we follow after it. We're, we're connecting to the, the, the body of Christ so that we have people to encourage us during those times. We're in his word. We're studying on our own and with others. We're turning to him and, and drawing close to him. 
These are the things as we draw close to him. This is what it means, turning to the Lord's ways, realizing his truth and following after it as we know him more, as we trust him more, as we submit ourselves to him. We realize the truth of his promises, that we can resist the devil. And when Satan comes and we're drawing close to the Lord and whispers in our ears, don't do that. That's not going to bring you pleasure and joy. We can say, no, I trust God. He's got my best in mind. I'm following after him and we resist Satan. And by the truth and the promise of God, he will flee, at least for a time. And we continue to do that. God is good. So we begin to, begin to experience, you know what, as, as we're following the Lord's ways, we're not experiencing these conflicts internally. We're following after him. We're not experiencing as many conflicts in our home as we follow his word and believe the truth of it, as we draw near to the Lord and we're able then to be the person he calls us to be, the husband, the wife, the employee, the person of the biblical community. And we're testing our own motives. Is this for the glory of God? Is this for my selfish motives? What's going on here? Lord, help me discern these things. And he goes on, James here, uh, when we're doing these things, he says, you also need to stop judging others. Even as we start judging our motives, we need to stop judging other people. He says, brothers and sisters, don't slander one another. Anyone who speaks uh, against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. This is, there's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who's able to save and destroy, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? We need to stop judging, and I'll say this to clarify it wrongly. What's the difference between a right judgment and a wrong judgment? There are things we're called to judge. We're called to discern truth from falsehood. This is why we need to know God's word. We seek to discern truth. It's like, is this person speaking truth? You should be discerning if I'm speaking truth according to God's word. Does God's word say this? This is why you need to know God's word as well. You shouldn't just be listening to me in this. We should be growing in our understanding and knowledge of who God is and what his word says so that we can discern truth from falsehood and people who are speaking falsely from those who speak truthfully. So we need to make discernments. Those are right judgments. But there's a couple areas that James is talking about here where we're not to judge. We're not to judge with wrong motives. In the context of this passage that we're reading, uh, we shouldn't be judging people out of jealousy or wrong motives or to advance ourselves. Even if what we may be saying about someone is true, we need to question, am I doing this uh, to protect someone? Maybe I'm talking against a false teacher uh, to protect others. Or am I doing this to exalt myself? Am I sharing the truth of someone else's sin or some, something that's gone on in their life to make me look better? Then don't do it, even if it's true. We should not be judging people with false motives or wrong motives. We're also not to judge by human standards. We make our own standard versus God's standard uh, of what we base a judgment on. Paul talks about this against this in Romans 14 when he's saying, you know what, the vegetarians are judging the meat eaters because of meat sacrificed to idols. People are judging uh, worship one day as more holy than another and others aren't doing that and they're judging one another. He's like, stop that. Let the Lord work that out. So we need to be careful about judging our pet peeves. We need to be careful. It's like, that person had a glass of wine. They call themselves a Christian. God's word doesn't say anything about having a glass of wine. It, says, it talks about getting drunk, drunkenness. Drunkenness is sin. Yes, but not necessarily having a glass of wine. Or 
you know what? How that person went to the movies. How, how could they do such a thing? Says the person who was cussing at somebody on the road the other day. You know what? Well, that's okay. I mean, that's in the heat of moment, but you're making a decision to go see this movie. Listen, we need to be careful about judging with, uh, based on our own standards. We need to leave the standards to God. He's given us standards in his word. And we need to be careful about judging people's eternal destinies. He tells us in verse 12, he says, there's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who's able to save and destroy. He says, who are you to judge your neighbor? We need to leave the judgment of someone's salvation up to the Lord. Now, I know when somebody tells me they're not a believer in Christ, I'm not judging their salvation. I know they're not saved based on what God's word says. I'm not, I'm not condemning them or not. I'm saying, hey, listen, there's only one way. It's through Jesus. I'm sharing the truth with them. Uh, but we need to be careful when someone claims they've trusted in Jesus and we're looking at their life and saying, well, I don't see a lot of fruit there. I don't see this. They must not be Christians. We need to be cautious in that because the reality is we can't see the entire course of a person's life. God sees perfectly. I will tell you, real Christians will bear fruit in their life. You may not always see it, however. God does. So we've got to be careful. But I'm not saying we shouldn't see fruit. For the, the normal Christian life, I think people should be able to see that we are Christians by the fruit we bear. But it's not always going to be the case. So we need to be cautious when we're judging someone's uh, uh, salvation, whether it's against uh, our standards or God's standards or their eternity. We need not make judgments. Because when we do, you know what happens? When we're making these judgments with wrong motives or by human standards or judging someone's eternity that we shouldn't be judging, we create more conflict between people. Conflict that is unneeded and unnecessary. We don't need to do that. We leave the judging in areas that we're not called to judge to the Lord. So my question for you is, are you experiencing conflict? Maybe it's in your home. Maybe it's in your uh, with other believers or with God or in your workplace, to discover why and to overcome, we need to start first by looking inside of us, judging our own motives. Are we seeking things for selfish motives? Are we only looking for our own comfort? Are we living according to the world systems rather than the Lord's way? Are we judging others according to our laws and our, our rules? Here's the answer to that. If you find yourself doing any of those things, it's repentance. We turn from it. We repent of that. We seek God's forgiveness for the sin of selfishness and worldliness and idolatry because we become spiritual adulteresses and we turn back to the Lord. We draw near to him. This is what it talks about. When it talks about, you know, mourn and, and, and wail, we're repenting. We're repenting of that. He says, submit yourselves. Come near to God, he will come near to you. He says, wash your hands. That's repentance. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Recognize, this is, this is not good. This doesn't glorify the Lord. And instead, humble yourselves before the Lord. We come before him, humbling ourselves. And when we do that, we serve a gracious God who cleanses us and purifies us from all unrighteousness. And when we do that, that's what we're doing. We're drawing close to him. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me. Forgive me for sinning in this way. I didn't realize it, and now I see it. Oh, forgive me, Lord. We draw close to him, and he draws near to us. He cleanses us and purifies us. 
and strengthens us and we begin to walk in his ways and take those steps that he puts in front of us and bring glory to him, he is a gracious and good God. Listen, Jesus isn't our hope just for our afterlife. He's our hope for this life and that life. He's our hope to live in. And when we draw close to him, we live in that hope. And we get to experience joy and peace that surpasses all understanding. And we draw closer to him and we follow his ways and he works mightily in our life. He is our hope. And he continues to transform us as we follow after him and as we draw near to him. This is what he does. His powerful spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, is at work in those who have trusted in Christ as Savior. And as we draw near him, he continues to change us and transform us and work powerfully in us so that we can experience the fullness of life that only he can give. Trust him. Follow him. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that God would help us to realize, maybe to look inside and judge our own motives so that we can repent and that we'd see maybe areas of this world we've been following and instead turn and follow the ways of the Lord and that we would stop making judgments to people where, where we have no business in making judgments and we would draw close to him and that we could experience him drawing close to us and that fullness of life that only he can give. So join me as we pray to the Lord as we confess, as we repent, and as we draw close to him. You know, that's a great uh, verse or chorus when it says, in your name I come alive to declare your victory. We can come alive and experience life in victory, not in conflict with those around us or even with ourselves, but in victory through Jesus Christ, through his resurrection power working in us, through, him draw, through us drawing near to him as he draws near to us, recognizing our own selfish desires confessing, repenting, turning from the ways of the world and turning to Christ. We can have glory. We can experience that full life, that life of victory, that resurrection life in Christ as we draw near to him. Listen, don't go away from here today trying harder to be better. Instead, go away from here drawing nearer and he will draw near to you and you too can experience victory and victory of life and that resurrection life. Have a great day. Go in peace.